from the book of Genesis, uh, starting at verse 10, chapter 12, and it's on page 13 of the Church Bibles. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace, and he treated Abram well for her sake. Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted a serious disease, inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What? Why have you, what have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling among, arose among Abram's herdsmen and lots. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are close relatives." And this is the word of the Lord. Can we have the uh, slide You know, I've prayed for years for another guitarist in church. (laughs) And we have Matteo. He's joined me. And I prayed for another drummer. And we've had Natalie join us. She's not here today, but she'll hear it on the tape. And, you know, I didn't even think about it. But that's a sign of my faith. But we've got a bassist as well. (laughs) In Kev. (laughs) So God's good and I'm in the musical promised land. (laughs) Um... You ever get the feeling you've been stitched up? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Story of my life. We started our series uh, on Abraham 
a couple of weeks ago, Dave, our vicar, got nine verses. I get 28. (laughs) Never mind. Anyway, last Sunday, I had a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful experience to go to a mosque uh, to sit through one of their services and to break fast with them and share in their hospitality. And what, what, what a, a, a feast we had. It was wonderful. But we earned it. We had to endure a 75-minute sermon. Was it 50? It felt like 75. <laughs> you know what? And I'm, I'm, I'm an audible learner and I, I can do that. I can sit and listen to the best. Uh, but even my mind started wandering off and I started thinking about when, when I was studying my postgraduate in religious studies, uh, something that a professor had told me from Lancaster University. And he said, really, when we use the word uh, anti-Semitism in, in common tongue, it, it means like a hatred for the Jews. But he says, we've got that wrong. Anti-Semitism is a hatred for the Semites or for the Semitic faiths. And listening to the Siman uh, talk, it reminded me of that, that we, uh, the, the Semitic faiths, all share their heritage, all trace their sort of lineage, whatever the word is, to Abraham. So not only do the Jews claim Abraham as their father, but Muslims do as well. And we do as Christians, as our spiritual father. And then I started thinking about that song, Father Abraham had many sons, left arm, right arm, not yet. Um, I was going to enjoy you through that this morning, but I decided not to. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's one song that we can all sing uh, together as Muslims, uh, Jews and Christians. Father Abraham had many sons. Um, anyway. Today's passage is a great passage that reinforces the idea for me that the Bible is authentic and trustworthy and undoctored. And I say that because whenever you get to um, some of the great protagonists of the Bible, some of the heroes of the Bible, he, the Bible always paints them not only as being great, but also as being people with great flaws as well. Uh, last time I spoke, I spoke about Peter and his sort of restoration, and he, no doubt he was a great leader, but he failed also in a massive sort of way, and the Bible doesn't sort of rosy over this. And this is a passage today, uh, very similar to that, about Abraham, uh, where he failed, this great patriarch of ours. Um, I also want to look at Abraham's journey of faith so far, and I want you to sort of also try and take it as a metaphor for maybe your own journey of faith so far as well. Um, I love maps, and uh, I've only got one slide today because I've lost faith in PowerPoint over recent weeks. <laughs> uh, so we can't go wrong, but what I do have, I hope, yeah, I've got a little red dot. All right, so I'll be showing you little things as we go along through uh, the sermon. But one of the things I want to show you is this, this green band here is what uh, archaeologists call a fertile crescent. Um, and all the ancient civilizations, all the, the great cities of antiquity uh, were built in this fertile crescent, uh, from, you know, from Egypt uh, all the way to Babylon, Places like that, Nineveh, 
and uh, Ur, where Abraham's faith journey started off. And we're kind of, um, this is around here's Haran, where he moved from with his father, and his father died there. And uh, as our story progresses, we're going to come down to Egypt, and then we're going to go back up to uh, Canaan, the promised land. What I want to point out here is that this fertile crescent, okay, is fed by rivers, water from the land, the Euphrates and the Tigris, and they come down here uh, together, what, what they call in modern-day Iraq, the Shatel Arab. And um, all these cities grew up and prospered around water that came from the land. Likewise, Egypt uh, prospered because of the Nile, water that came from the land. Now, it's not clear on this map. Uh, there is a river that runs through the middle here, which is the River Jordan, and in that Jordan Valley, it's very uh, fertile and prosperous as well, and cities uh, grew up there. But actually, anything around here, um, around the Jordan, uh, it's not fed by waters from the land, it's fed by waters from the sky. Okay, um, just as a side point, that, that's now uh, the Gaza Strip, and they don't have any natural source of water other than water that comes from the sky, which is why Palestinians are in a little bit of a difficult sort of plight, because they can't get the water other than importing it. Um, and actually, that promised land there that God promised Abraham wasn't going to be land that was fed by waters from the land, but it was going to be land that was fed by waters from the sky or heaven. It's an interesting thought. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for scripture. We thank you that it is a light to our lives, that it reflects our lives. And we pray, Lord, in these moments that we will uh, learn something of you, that you'd speak to us through these words. Help us to concentrate uh, on these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first step in anyone's journey of faith is a calling. We all get called by God. We hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit frees us, and we respond to it. And we start our journey of faith as we respond. And as Dave preached last week, Abe hears the call. He hears the call of God at the beginning, and God tells Abraham to leave everything and go to the land that he's promised uh, and as we recap, if you'll just look back at early chapter 12, God says to Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, and to the land which I will show you. And he carries on and makes Abraham a number of massive promises. He says that I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to give you a people, I'm going to bless you and protect you, and through your uh, offspring, uh, I'm going to bless all people. Um, and that's uh, where we are. So in faith, Abe does so. He moves on and uh, his father dies in Haran, which is about there. And uh, he carries on along the fertile crescent uh, into the promised land. And he settles and reaches a place in Canaan, uh, which is described as the great tree of Moreth, which... Uh, there were loads of trees, I think, and it was quite a nice shady spot to go, a bit like Beacon Fell on a hot summer's day. Uh, and he settled down there. And uh, there God reaffirms his covenant 
with Abraham. And God says that to his offspring, I will give this land. Okay. And Abraham responds by building an altar or a cairn, a bit like the sort you might see on top of a fell in the Lake District, a lot of rocks piled up on each other as a response to what God had said to him. From there he moves slightly south, about, around about there somewhere, to, to a place in between Bethel and Ai, uh, just east of Bethel, I think. Um, and again, he, he, build, he builds a cairn, he pitches his tent, and he responds in faith, builds his cairn, and his faith journey continues. And uh, finally, we saw last uh, time we approached the scriptures, uh, he heads towards the Negev, which is south of Judah, and, and that's where it ended in verse 9. So we pick up the story today, our great uh, archetype, our great patriarch, Abraham, uh, we're scoring 10 out of 10 for faith, 10 out of 10, as he arrives in God's promised land. Now, in Abe's first faith journey, just like our own, okay, we're going to get tested. And Abraham got tested. This is true. It's sometimes the devil that tests us, and sometimes it's the Lord that brings the tests upon us. But these tests that we get in our lives are purposeful. They're they're there to strengthen us and to build our faith, to make it stronger. And so we see Abraham's test comes in the form of a famine. Now, how does Abraham respond? He doesn't pray. He doesn't ask, oh, what shall I do? He doesn't trust in God's promises. But rather, he looks around and he sees the nearest place uh, to him that reminds him of home and all that nice prosperity, and he heads straight to Egypt. Uh, he heads to a place where the water comes from the land, not to a place where the living water comes from the sky. Rather than look after his spiritual needs, he chooses to look after his physical ones. Now, God would have sorted him out if he'd stayed put in Canaan, I'm sure of it. But our great patriarch, Abraham, his faith score is now dwindling rapidly. And he packs up and he heads to Egypt. Back, if you like, to to an old way of living, to an old life. Verse 10, um, the verb there for to live indicates that he stopped living in tents and he actually started to live in houses. And so we can now see that Abe's faith is probably like many of our own faiths. It's fickle. You know, as hard times come, he's rocked about and he returns back to his old way of being. He's no longer a man living in faith, but rather a man that's living in fear. From the dusty hills in the Negev, he settles into the um, riches and the comforts of ancient Egypt, a land of plenty. Out of fear, he makes some terrible choices that have some lasting consequences. Now, Abraham knows the Egyptians. He knows their reputation. And he fears them. And for his own safety, on account of the attractiveness of his wife, he wants to save his own skin. And so he asks his wife, 
not only to lie for him, but to accept the prospect of entering uh, Pharaoh's harem. Fancy that. Fancy smashing up the sanctity of your own marriage and asking your wife to do that for you. That's a terrible thing. Now you might say, hang on, Aunt. Isn't it true that Sarah was his half-sister? And he was. She was. His half-sister at least. It's half a truth. It's, it's, it's half a lie. But you see the danger here, and I'm sure Abraham sort of reasoned it out like that himself as well. Sort of splitting hairs. The danger here is that, you know, the big brazen lies in life, they're dangerous, but... The most devastating lies in life are often the half-truths, the white lies, like we want to call them. And oh, what a web we weave when we first begin to deceive. And so as it passes, Abraham's fears come true. Uh, Sarah comes under the attention of Pharaoh and dutifully, as instructed by her husband, she is taken into his household and harem. And we read that Abraham actually prospers from this lie. Abraham prospers from stepping outside of God's will. And it might be so in our journey of faith also. When we become Christians, it's often at great cost and sacrifice. We give up old ways of doing things, the ways of the world, and we start living a life of faith. Rarely has anyone become rich, financially rich anyway, because of being a Christian. Often it's the exact opposite. As time goes on in all our faith journeys, we may be tested, probably without we will be tested. Finances, for example, might be tight. You know, so you agree to take on the Sunday shift at work. Brilliant. Your bank account's now in a better nick. But at what cost? The cost of meeting your church family and fellowshipping with them on a Sunday. Your business might not be doing too well at the moment. So you decide to join the local Freemasons Lodge to make some new contacts. But at what spiritual cost? Cost of defining yourself by engaging in some dangerous Gnostic spirituality. You're tired of being different as a young Christian. You want to look cool in school, in college, in uni. So you agree to go out on that weekend bender during Freshers' Week. Returning to our old lives and our old ways of doing things always has consequences in our new life of Christ. And I talk with experience, and I'm sure many of you lot uh, can sympathize with me. Um, and we have here in Scripture, and as witness to this, uh, in the life of Abraham. But things are good for Abraham, aren't they? Pharaoh makes him rich. He receives cattle. He receives servant, servants alike. He receives blessings from a pagan king, rather from the Lord of heaven and earth. And all this because he stopped trusting in God. 
and started living in fear rather than faith. He told one little white lie. He returned to his old life where the waters of life came from the ground and not from heaven. And Abraham's faith score became zero out of ten. Now remember this. Our God is an eternal God and he makes eternal promises. And by hook or by crook, God was going to see those promises being fulfilled. Now God could have found another to bestow these blessings upon and jettison Abraham for his lack of faith, but he didn't. And that's because God's promises to Abraham weren't for Abraham's sole benefit alone. Abraham was going to be a vehicle by which God's plan for salvation in history was going to be rolled out. For it was going to be through his offspring. The Bible's very clear about that. that It's singular, not plural, not through all the descendants of Abraham, but through one descendant of Abraham alone, God. God's salvation plan was going to unfold and the whole of humankind was going to be offered salvation and that single descendant was going to be Jesus Christ. And so to keep salvation plan on track, God sends a plague on the house of Pharaoh. Again, you might say, well, that's a bit harsh. It's a bit harsh. It wasn't Pharaoh's fault that Abraham lied. I think that's a small cost, in some senses, to ensure salvation for us all would come through Christ. And I'm sure also there are probably countless reasons why God would want to discipline Pharaoh. Uh, But we read, interestingly enough, that it's because of Sarah that these plagues arrive on Pharaoh's household. It's for Sarah's sake, who is the future mother of Isaac, and the firstborn in the fulfilment of of these promises. So the plague came, and anyway, who are we to question the ways of the Lord? So God sends this plague on Pharaoh's uh, household, and Pharaoh finally twigs that this has all come about since that woman Sarah arrived in my house. Now, it's really interesting how Pharaoh responds to this. Okay, How he comes to know the truth of Sarah's identity, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it's really interesting how he responds. This pagan king, this idolater, after all, um, actually rebukes our great patriarch Abraham. He says, why did you lie? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And what a shame it is when someone who knows nothing of God's ways can take the moral high ground and convict you of your own sin. That is, it's a crying shame when that happens. Um, and I'm sure Abraham's head must have been bowed down low at that point. Pharaoh's second response was to allow Abraham to leave Egypt and to take everything with him that he accumulated And he goes back to the Negev and back to the promised land. Now, if metaphorically speaking, um, this journey of faith uh, is like our Christian lives, 
then maybe some of us have been in Egypt at one time or another. Maybe sat here today, you're in Egypt. You've stepped away from the faith. You've backslidden, as we used to call it. Um, but by grace, God's called you to return. And you're now back in his fold, as such. Back within God's will. Back in the promised land. If that's you, I hope you returned empty-handed. Just like you were when you first received God's call. You can't live with the blessings of God and the trappings of the world at the same time. It's like being a slave serving two masters. You end up loving one and hating the other. And initially Abraham makes this mistake. He takes all his wealth with him uh, into the promised land. Now, spoiler alert, that decision, okay, uh, in the future will have near disastrous consequences again on his marriage. Because he actually takes um, a slave woman by the name of Hagar with him. Um, and, yeah, well, that's for another sermon, I think. But um, disastrous consequences when he takes this wealth that is acquired from his old life into the promised land. But the thing is, that the land at that point in time couldn't sustain all of Abraham's wealth and assets. It wasn't part of God's plan to have all these herds and all these people uh, in the land at that time. And as we see squabbles start breaking out amongst Lot's shepherds and Abraham's shepherds uh, over grazing rights. And what happens next is, is, is interesting because Abraham starts to redeem himself. He starts to sort of uh, return to faith and starts acting with integrity again. Um, and our patriarch becomes our role model once more. Anyone go to Pemmervan Gala yesterday? Great piece of high culture over the water there, people. If you, <laughs> you ever get your passports and cross over the ripple, go to Pemmervan Gala. And the pinnacle of high culture for the Riley household is Hook a Duck on, <laughs> on, um, the uh, fair there. And, um, Nicole loves it. And, uh, it, Hook a Duck, for those of you who don't know, you've got a, a stick with a hook on it and you've got a load of rubber duckies in a vat of water. And you very simply have to hook a few ducks and get them out of the water. Great fun. And if you get enough, then you can choose anything you want from um, behind the stall. And five pounds later, <laughs> Nicole can choose whatever she wants. And I'm eyeing up the big teddy because I'm thinking that's worth well more than a fiver. <laughs> Nicole's going, Daddy, do you, do you want... Shall I get that toy gun? I'm thinking, oh, I've been there, done that. And guns aren't toys, Nicole. I'm still looking at that teddy. That teddy's got my name on it and my fiver in its back pocket as well. And what does Nicole choose? The most worthless <laughs> piece of tat, <laughs> which didn't even last the way home. I'm not bitter. All right, but that was an unusual choice, okay? 
I've always known that Nicole's special. She's not atypical in any shape or form. Because if you want to see what the measure of a person is, give them a choice like Abraham gave Lot. Yeah? You can have whatever you want, and I'll take what's left. That's the measure. You want to see what the measure of someone is? Give them that choice. Now, Lot is clearly a worldly man. Lot looks at the barren, dry grasslands of the Negev and Judea, fed by waters from the sky. And then he looks at the valley of the river of Jordan and the lushness and the cities and all the prosperity there. And he chooses that. And we see a reflection in verse 10 of maybe where his heart is because it reminds him of where he's come from uh, around here. Yeah, he wants to return back to his old ways, to his old life. And so he chooses the valley. He takes the cream and Abraham gets the rest. Lot didn't say, now look, Abraham, you're my elder. You choose Rather, he looked after himself. And that decision, again, will prove to have disastrous consequences as we continue our study in Genesis. So Lot and Abraham depart. And this actually is the first time that Abe is in a position that God originally wanted him to be in. Remember the calling, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your house, father's house to the land I will call you. And this is the first time that Abraham is on his own. Abe's now living by faith again. His faith journey has come a full circle. And for the first time since being at Shechem, the Lord speaks to him. And he starts to behave in a godly manner. And for the first time since being east of Bethel, he builds an altar again. And God speaks and God reaffirms the promises he's made. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west, All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, that your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And that's what Abraham did. He went oh, kind of like the, the world's biggest prayer walk. He walked through the promised land and uh, I kind of feel like he was surveying the land in some senses, building these altars to mark out the territory that God had promised him. Um, what can we learn from this passage? I think one thing we can learn is that we shouldn't, whatever our fears are, Whatever they are, we shouldn't live in fear. We should live in faith. We should trust God. The other thing we should learn is that we shouldn't let our standards drop. 
We shouldn't lose our integrity. Because as Christians, we're lights in this world. We let our standards drop and we lose our integrity. The world will judge us just as Pharaoh judged Abraham. And we shouldn't be judged for being poor reflections of that light. Christ died for us so that you could become heirs of all the promises that Abraham received. Heirs according to the promise. And the price that was paid was Christ dying on that cross. That was the cost so that we could receive all the blessings that Abraham received. God created roads for all of us when, we, when he called us out of Ere and out of Haran. That's our faith journey. God called us to the promised land, wherever that may be. That's where we started our faith journey. And you might be here today, still sat in Ere, and still sat in Haran. It's the very start of your faith journey. God has created a road for you to walk on. And through his grace, he's also created a road out of Egypt as well. And if you're the sort of Christian that feels like I've backslidden, I've walked away, and uh, I'm living in Egypt, there's a road that's been created for you by the grace of God to take you out of Egypt and back into the promised land, but return empty-handed, as you were when you first began. And rely on God, the Lord and the giver of life, to restore you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for scripture. Thank you for its honesty and its power. I thank you for its ability to inspire us and to convict us. I thank you, Lord, for its blessings and the the truthfulness of your promises. Lord, you promise to save all who love and accept your Son. May we who are in our early steps on our faith journey grow to love and know your ways more. May we who have fallen away from where you want us to be Return back on that path, back into that journey of faith. And may we all, as a fellowship, enjoy the blessings of your promised land. Amen.